You're listening to the One Hope Church Podcast. The following audio is from the weekly gatherings of One Hope Church in Orlando, Florida. We pray that you'll be encouraged and challenged as you listen. Well, we are going to discuss leadership this morning because we've been going through the book of 1 Timothy, and chapter 3 is about leadership and the church. Now, I have a question for you. Have any of you ever been part of what you would consider, looking back on it, a rather dysfunctional church? Do any of you have that history where you were, you were hurt, uh, you were wounded by being part of a church? That, uh, that's not an atypical event to happen in the lives of many. But I think it is a serious event because I believe that, that when, when, when churches bring harm on its members, it can often leave people shipwrecked in their faith. So it's, it's not just a casual thing that some churches are okay, some churches aren't okay. I think it can do real damage to us. And so if anything, this morning, or this evening, excuse me, what I'd like to do is to guard you from hopefully in the future, hopefully not here at One Hope, but sometime in the future, to not make that mistake of embedding yourself, of giving yourself to, to churches that are abusive and harmful. Well, how do, you, how do you avoid that? Well, I know often in our culture what we look at in terms of criteria for, for choosing a, a church may be the wrong things. We, we, we look at its size, we, we look at the, the, the fame or the celebrity status of the, of the pastor. We look at, at the programs, how, in a sense, wonderful or, or flashy those are. And there's, there's nothing wrong with a, a church that's of good size, that has, has excellent programs. Those are to be commended. But if that becomes the criteria that you use to embed yourself, to, to, to give yourself intimately to a bodies of believers, then you really are setting yourself up for harm, for damage. Well, the, the key characteristic in choosing a church, based, I think, on this passage that we're looking at, it's not that those things are, are bad, but the key characteristic is leadership, is godly leadership. And so today what I want to look at is, is what does that look like? How do you know if, if, if you're in the presence of good leadership in a church before you commit yourself? And in my main proposition, the main thing that I, I, I would like to argue for is this, is that you really know you're in the presence of good leaders if those leaders are creating leadership for everyone. That's, that might be a little ambiguous. But what it means is that the, the leader is, in a sense, pulling everything towards them. They aren't the, the, the center. Everything is not about them and their status and how many people are, are listening to them or how many books they've written or if they're on the New York Times bestseller list. But rather, if the opposite, if, if, if they are giving away, they're giving uh, away the ability for others to create, the others to use their gifts, the others uh, to mature in the faith and to lead others. Jesus, or the Apostle Paul said that Jesus said that it's more blessed to give than to receive. 
And I think that's true in the realm of leadership as well. Good leaders are those who are constantly raising up leadership throughout the church. They don't have their name up front. They don't have to get the credit or the recognition. They're happier when someone else is getting the credit or the recognition. Well, what does that look like? What does it look like when leaders are creating leadership for others, when they're giving it away, when they want others to grow in maturity and importance? Well, let's take a look at this passage. First of all, the Apostle Paul says that leadership is a good thing. You know, uh, some people may be skeptical about those who want to lead. Well, particularly in the political realm, it seems almost like a catch-22 that that those who are most desperate for political authority and power are probably the ones who least (laughs) should be entrusted with it, but not so in the church. It's not to be that way in the church. The Apostle Paul says that if you aspire in these to, to, to grow in these traits of leadership, particularly if you aspire to become what he calls an overseer, uh, a presbyter, a, a, a bishop, different words are used in, in the scripture and in tradition. We use the word elder here at the church, but one who oversees the affairs of the church. If a person aspires, they want to do that. The Apostle Paul says, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And I think extrapolating from that, it's not that hard to argue that leadership in general, if it's good leadership, is something we should aspire to. It's something that's good for us. That's why he says it's a trustworthy saying. This is a true saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. What would that mean for you to aspire to grow in leadership? I think the first step and growing in leadership, is that you take responsibility. You decide inside of yourself, I'm going to be responsible for this area that I want to be, I want to be a leader. It could be as simple as, as I'm going to take responsibility for my family. It might be I'm going to take responsibility for a Sunday school class. It may be I'm going to take uh, responsibility in a civic association or a club that I'm in. But I'm not just going to be a taker, a consumer. I'm going to choose to be responsible that this thing works well, that it delivers value and good for others. I'm going to take the responsibility, even if it means it inconveniences me at some level. Leadership always starts with that first decision. I'm going to be the person who steps up. I'm going to be the person who's... who makes sure that things get done. doesn't necessarily mean that you're up front in the meetings or that your name is known, but it means that you're taking responsibility. So to aspire to leadership means that, first of all, I'm, I'm going to intentionally step up and take responsibility. The next part about leadership, the sort of leadership that, uh, that should be given away by the leaders, by the overseers of the church, is that it's above reproach. Now, you'll notice here that I'm, I'm, I'm using alliteration. I've got A's here, aspiring and above reproach. So just wanted you to know that. That's <laughs> that first of all, leadership is about character, right? The apostle Paul says, now the overseer is to be above reproach. I mean that he's perfect. 
right? But it means that in the community, there's not gossiping going on about, about this person. It means that his, his character is known and is impeachable. That he's a person worthy of respect. What does it mean to be above reproach? That he's, he's faithful to his wife. The Greek there actually says a, a one-woman man. Now, some uh, translations have that he's, he's married to one wife. But I think this is probably the better translation, that he's, he's devoted. He's not wandering around. His eye isn't wandering around, but he's, he's devoted to his wife. That's a life pattern for him. He's temperate, self-controlled, respectable. Those, those terms run together in many ways. It means that he's not living out there in extremes. He's, he has a sense of restraint in his life. He's able to control uh, th- those things that could bring harm, passions, desires. He's hospitable. Friday night we were at Mervet's for part of that uh, One Hope mixer. And if there's anybody I think of the church who's hospitable, hospitable it's, it's Mervet's. People are always at her home. She's caring for them. Not just giving them food, but, but listening, sharing in their lives, helping them al- along this journey. That's what hospitality means in the New Testament. That you're investing in people. You're using your resources. Again, it's, it's not about drawing everything into yourself. It's leaders are giving away. They're helping others along the way. Able to teach. Overseers do need to be able to accurately instruct the church in the word of God. Not given to drunkenness. Not violent. But gentle. Not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. I love the old King James. It says, not a striker. <laughs> not someone who's, who's actually battling it out. Believe it or not, I, I actually know of a church in Boston back in the 1970s where the elders got into an actual brawl on the stage. So apparently Apostle Paul knew something that, that perhaps we don't know. But it's not a person who's, who's given to, to losing his temper. He's not demanding his way, but there's a gentleness. There's the ability to correct with gentleness and not a lover of money. My gosh, many uh, church leaders have gone astray from a love of money. So these are the sorts of characteristics that as, as you're choosing a church, these are essential. Is this what the leaders look like? Is this who they are? Right? Now, I think the Apostle Paul not only is stating these characteristics for the overseers, but this idea that, that good leaders are ones who are giving leadership away, he's expecting everyone in the church to be growing in these characteristics because he believes everyone in the church is assuming some level of leadership. You're taking responsibility for something, some task, some group of people. That's what it means to, to become an adult, You take responsibility for things. And so in the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says this to the church, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And imitate their faith. So elders in the church are trying to set an example so that others will imitate, that they'll grow in these same characteristics that they rejoice to see others in the church accept this responsibility and to begin to mold their character according to these traits. They're giving away 
leadership, even as they're modeling their life. The next is that they're attentive to the family. Say, I really am sticking with those A's. (laughs) Now in the text, we can read the text. He says he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how could he take care of God's church? That's a a pretty fair question, don't don't you think? But he's, a, he's attentive to the family, the leader. And the, and the principle I like to draw out of this is that, is that the small is the purpose of the big. Where, where do we actually live our lives? We, we live them in, in our families. We live them with our closest friends. We, we live them with a team of people that we work with. We live them in small groups in the church. Where real life is lived is in this small number of contexts, a small number of relationships. And leadership really starts there and, and, and it continues to land there. It points there. So the, the leadership of the church, it exists so that, that men and women can be godly parents, godly husbands, godly wives, that they, they can help others along their journey. In life, they can they can be actually in, in in discipleship relationships with others. This principle that the big exists for the small it, it works in every single level of leadership. The actual purpose for for Congress in the United States uh, Senate, Congress and Senate, the, the the purpose for the the presidency of the United States is so that we might live in our families safe and secure, and free, that we might be able to start our own businesses or work in a business without fear. Their only purpose, the only legitimacy that government has is that it allows us to do the things that are most important, to create these relationships of of love and intimacy and trust. The the conservative philosopher, the, the British conservative philosopher, Edmund Burke, called these things the little platoons of life, the family, the church, the, the, the team of people that you, you, you work with. He said, that's the heart of living. We live in those small civic associations. And the, and the larger powers exist to enable those things, to allow them to function and to flourish. I know, I know many of you like The Lord of the Rings, that, that great book, movie. I didn't think it was so great, but maybe you like the movie. But if you think about it, that's the message that runs all the way through that book. The most important thing in that book is, is the Shire, this simple little community with the, the hobbits knowing each other and having funny little feasts and birthday parties and, and sitting together having meals and down at the pub. And the reason that the wizard Gandalf is a hero in the book is that everything he does is to ensure that the Shire can be safe. Because he understands that the real value in life looks like the Shire. His, his opposite character, Sauron, the other wizard, turns out to be an evil wizard because he could care less about the little things. All he wants is to accumulate power for himself, empires, armies. He's got it flipped completely upside down. He thinks that the small exists for the big, but in reality, the big exists 
to facilitate the small. And so a man can't be an elder in the church if he isn't focused on the small, on family, on friends, on community. I don't care how large the church is. If he's not first focused on leading in his family, he's not able to lead the church. Because now instead of of helping to facilitate the life, this life lived in family and among friends of others, he again, he's, he's pulling all things to himself. He's amassing, in a sense, power and status for himself. Instead of, and again, creating leadership for others, helping fathers, helping mothers become godly leaders in their own home. So the small is the heart, is the essence, and the large, the big, exists for the small. Uh, this is my church in the Philippines. <laughs> uh, I, I didn't get asked to speak at conferences when I was helping with that, that church. It's up in the mountains in the central Philippines, a little town called Tabunan. I actually didn't pastor that church but I was one of the leaders and, and worked closely with the pastors. We started that church. We were starting different churches throughout the mountain areas of the Philippines. And it might be easy for some to look at that and in a sense despise it. What is that? A little bamboo shack with a tin roof. And when it rained, which it always rains in the Philippines, when it hit that GI sheeting, you could not hear a thing. <laughs> that happens. Have you been there, Kenny? Yes, you've been there. Well, you know what? In our first two years, we baptized 50 people in that village. Isn't that neat? I don't think it was a small thing in God's eyes. Actually, there's nothing bigger in God's eyes than his church. It is his church that Jesus came and died for. Nothing else. Nothing else. There's nothing more valuable to Jesus. There's nothing more precious in the whole world than Christ's church, his body. That's why it's an incredible privilege to oversee it. But also it's a fearful thing too, isn't it? <laughs> because if, you, if, if an elder misuses that trust, misuses that leadership, he will stand judged for it because there's nothing greater in God's eyes than the church. But a real leader is attuned, he's attentive to the small, His authority exists so that the small, the families, the fellowship groups will flourish. Here's another A. That actual experience is an important part of leadership. The Apostle Paul goes on. He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. So uh, leadership starts when you you accept responsibility, when not only to to care for something, care for others, but also the responsibility to begin to grow in the the traits that make for healthy and good leadership, those character traits, the the love of facilitating others in, in, in their family and in their commitments. But there's no substitute for experience. There just simply isn't. And the reason is 
because experience necessarily includes failure <laughs> over and over and over again. And that failure is the best enemy of pride. It's the best way to combat pride. It's when I try something, I try to be a leader, and, and it doesn't go exactly the way I want. That just knocks down the pride, and you, and you become a learner. You want to learn. I can tell you this, there's, there's no field of, of, of experience that was more true than when we were missionaries on the field and we were learning a new language and a new culture. Every single day we made mistakes. Some mistakes are worth more than others. Some are pretty horrible. Some are, are pretty funny. But you know, you know what comes out of that is, is in a sense, a distrust of, of your own impulses. Oh, this is the way we did it in America. Well, that turns out to be the exact opposite of the way they would do it in the Philippines. And, you, and, and those experiences of, of realizing, I don't really know how this works. I'm not just simply competent in myself. Those experiences of failure causes us to distrust ourselves, And when we start to distrust ourselves, then we become dependent upon God. And we become open to learning from others who have been down that path before. It's not just an experience of unbroken successes, one after another. Actually, that might set you up for a great fall down the road. It's actually an experience of, 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 of the school of hard knocks, of trying, failing, getting up, trying again, and, and learning to depend upon God and learning to actually care about others who have been down that road before to learn from them. And if there's one thing true about youth, it's often a disregard for the older. The, the youth is, is often accompanied with a, a great certainty that we know, we already know everything that we need to know. And of course, they don't know what all the unknowns, and it's the unknowns that always trip us up. So experience is, is a vital part. But experience, um, let me just say this too. This distrust of ourself that grows from experience, that our impulses, our instincts, the little bit of knowledge we have is enough, is the reason that in the New Testament, leadership is always plural. There's not an elder to the church. There are elders in the church and so One Hope has a council of elders, a team of elders. Our pastor, Justin, is one of the elders. Now, he's what we would call a teaching elder. He's given to full-time uh, caring, shepherding, teaching in the church. But he is still simply one among uh, equals in the elders. Because no one has all the gifts. No one has all the knowledge. No one has all the experience. We need a plurality of leadership. And beyond that, we need the voices of the church, your experiences, your gifts, what you know and what God is saying to you. Uh, that's one of the reasons that I think Justin has been so anxious that we have stories uh, uh, this summer, is that we hear what God is saying to the church because we need the experience of others. All right, so... One of the ways that we, we can gain this experience, one of the ways that we can begin to combat the pride that, that we know everything we need to know is that leadership in the church 
it, it actually it desires to activate others. Leadership nurtures more leadership. Leaders mentor younger leaders. And that's often where the experience comes from. As someone walks alongside of you, allows you to make those mistakes, and helps you to grow in them. And here in the New Testament, those leaders are called deacons. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect. Deacons simply means servant. They're those who come along and serve in the church, particularly helping the elders in the roles of, of shepherding and protecting the church. But look at, at their list of characteristics. They're so similar to that of the elders. And again, this is the idea that, that leadership is simply, um, in a sense, uh, helping others to imitate, helping others to learn from where you've been. So they're worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. These are very similar to the qualifications of elder. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested. That's very similar to not a new convert, someone who's, who's been able to go through this process of experience, of learning, of failing, of, of, of trying. Then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. And in the same way, women, now this could be wives of deacons, but here um, with this translation, at one hope we believe that there are uh, roles for women as well as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate, trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well, exactly the same as, as the elder. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing. Uh, and a great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. So uh, leaders who are, who are giving their leadership away, and we said that's, that's the key when you're selecting a church, is that you're looking for leaders who want to enable others, who want to see others' lives transformed, who don't want to hold on to everything for themselves. This is the very process that we see in elders mentoring deacons helping them along that road. Uh, and that, that idea of testing them is allowing them to have experiences, allowing them to take on more and more responsibility. And if they show themselves worthy in, 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 in those tests, not only does it, it give them a deep sense of assurance in their faith, but it prepares them to take care of the church as well. So leaders are those who are constantly giving away this, this idea of leadership, not just simply in, in this role of like making decisions, but in helping others to, to achieve the right character, to care for the things that are really important, to, to learn from experience. So these traits, these characteristics of leadership, yes, they're for the deacons, but they're for every single person in the church. Because every single person has some level of responsibility, something that they're uh, involved with, something that they're in charge of. And every single one of us, whether it's just with our children, or it's a Sunday school class, or a community outreach, I think God's goal is that you grow in these characteristics of leadership. I'm going to end with just one other thing. That this... 
this ability to, to grow in leadership, this idea that, that elders are helping to mentor, to test deacons. I think there's something that's, that's important for all of us. That, that we, in developing of who we are and our character and our abilities, that there is, in a sense, a, a process of testing and evaluating through experience. But how will you find the people to do that? How do you find the people to help you grow in whatever level of leadership it is that you're interested in? Maybe you want to, to, to take responsibility for the worship. You say, I, I want to serve in worship. I'd like to become a leader in the worship of the church. Now, Nick, you're not our normal <laughs> uh, worship leader, but we're so glad that you're here to help us. But Jill is. How would Jill decide that you want to become uh, you want to take on responsibility and leadership in worship. Well, the simplest way is that, is that you decide to become useful. That may seem just common sense, but it really is at the heart of beginning this journey of leadership. Yes, there's taking responsibility, but then the action that flows from that is you decide to be useful, whatever needs to be done. Not saying I can only do these sorts of things because I'm this important. But rather saying I'm going to take responsibility to do whatever needs to be done to be useful. I can remember when I was a, a brand new Christian. I was involved with Campus Crusade for Christ. And we would have regular meetings, weekly training meetings. And after about six months or so of being involved in those meetings, one of the leaders of, of, on our campus came and said, I'd like for you to be in my discipleship group. You know, I'd like to, to mentor you and, and train you. And we had a lot of students, and I, I said to this campus crusade staff member, I said, why, why me? Why, why are you inviting me into this group? He said, it's because I've been watching you for months. And he said, at the end of all, every, every week of our leadership training classes, you always stay behind to rearrange the chairs. He said, other people's go but you've made yourself useful in rearranging the chairs. That was a simple little thing. Just, I thought, well, I'll take responsibility to help out with the chairs. But being invited into his discipleship group is actually the thing that, in a sense, triggered the trajectory of my life. Most of what I know still as, as a Christian, as a pastor, as a missionary, I first learned in that Campus Crusade discipleship group because a wonderful man named Roland Holloway decided that he would like to mentor me. The reason he decided he wanted to mentor me is I had decided to be useful. That's how leadership starts. You take responsibility. You pay attention to your character. You, you value what's small, not your reputation or fame. You you decide to learn through experience and the experience of others. And you find a mentor by choosing to be useful. If you do those things, you'll become a leader. And if you go to a new church and you don't see the leaders doing those very things, you stay away. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this section and this letter of Paul to Timothy. Lord, I know that's, that, that so many have been hurt by dysfunctional leadership, by abusive leadership. And yet, Lord, here are the characteristics that we can 
we can see and evaluate whether we should be involved in that church. Lord, would you guard this flock, every single family here. Lord, I pray they would only go to churches where they they see and can evaluate that there's godly leadership. And Lord, secondly, I pray for every single person in this church that they would aspire to the leadership role that you have chosen for them, that they would take responsibility, they wouldn't run away from it, they would pay attention to their character and to their family, and Lord, they would seek mentors to help them along that way and in that journey. Lord, may one hope become a church where we are developing leaders, where leaders are giving away leadership. Lord, we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the One Hope Church podcast. We encourage you to share what you've heard in conversation with family, friends, classmates, and coworkers. To connect with us or learn more, visit wehaveonehope.com. 